Hey guys, before today's episode of the podcast, I want you to text me 212-931-5731. If you don't, you're missing out. I'm putting all my eggs in the fucking text basket. 212-931-5731. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Hey you guys, it's Madison Russell, the style editor at 1.37 p.m., a digital publication that focuses on entrepreneurship, style, culture, and sports. On today's episode, Gary is interviewed in Armenia by Entrepreneur Magazine, TechCrunch, and Forbes. Tweet at Gary V with your favorite moment from today's episode. In this first interview with Entrepreneur Magazine, Gary's talking about what he would do if he was to start over from scratch today. My mom follows your content. Six-year-old white woman from the suburbs. My nephew, 14-year-old kid. My buddies in music. I saw Cypress Hill commenting on your your post last week. Like, you're just all over the place and so culturally relevant. Can you just explain a little bit about how you're able to touch and cast such a wide net? Because I don't think there's anybody that's doing it. I think that, thank you, because uh, that's obviously very flattering to hear. I think that I am very much in a very good place on being historically correct. So I think my message is universal. I think I genuinely believe that kindness and doing the right thing and hard work and empathy, but work ethic and hustle, you know, I think I'm coming from a couple different directions. I think people have chosen sides and I think I'm kind of pulling from both sides. So I think that makes me universal. I think I live the unique kind of life. When I hear that, where my mind goes is, well, I grew up in a very diverse neighborhood in New Jersey, so, There was different periods of my life from childhood to high school where white kids were my best friends, where Asian kids were my core best friends, where black kids were my core best friends, where Indian Americans were my, like literally, and I'm not kind of joking, like I can think of like Robert Lee and playing Monopoly for two summers and I was really in the Asian, you know, and you know, and Rashawn Courtney and and Waukeel Shaw, you know, like real hood stuff, like so I think, I got very fortunate with the way that happened. I also think that I'm deeply living my thesis, which is produce content and pump it out everywhere. A lot of the cooler kids that we both know have become one-dimensional on Instagram, maybe on YouTube as well, but I'm on LinkedIn, but I'm on TikTok, but I'm on Twitter, but I'm on podcast. I also talk about a lot of different things. I could talk about the baby today and tomorrow talk about parenting, you know, and entitlement. I think in, without even, when, when I look at myself, I'm like, oh, he's just a renaissance guy. He just has a lot of interests and he has the conviction, but more importantly, the self-esteem to feel comfortable about talking about all of them. There's a lot of people that right. could be talking about a lot more stuff, right. but they don't want to give up their image in one sector. And I think that my courage to be liked and disliked by everyone gives me a tremendous leg up. Do you think that's your competitive advantage? 100%. Yeah. I believe that I want to be popping in the south side of Atlanta, but I also want to be popping to old ladies on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Right, right, right. I do. Right. And I want to be killing it with th- third graders in Iowa, right. and that's why I'm on TikTok. And I want to destroy it with 48-year-old executives in Chicago, New York, and Shanghai, and that's why I'm on LinkedIn. Right. Um, do you think uh, you're a better entrepreneur or investor? Entrepreneur. Yeah. I think I was a really good, when I invested in Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr, I was an entrepreneur 
seeing something. Then I became an investor and I started to guess. Um, I also like being in control. I think the reason I've slowed down my investing is I don't have control. And I think I can get back into it, but I think I need the world to melt a little bit. Right now it's just too, too many startups, too many fake entrepreneurs. I can't decipher them on first look. And so... What does that mean? Like when you say fake entrepreneurs? So everybody's like got a business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 90% shouldn't. Let me right. phrase. Right. 90% will fail. It's right. not that they shouldn't. It's that people are not self-aware. And whatever's the cool thing, people go into. And right now the cool thing is entrepreneurship. While even though I don't love college, a lot of these people are academics and should go that route. I don't like college for purebred entrepreneurs that are gonna innovate because it's looking backwards and it's overspending on something that's looking backwards. I love it for number fives who need to learn those disciplines and skills to then go into companies. If you were to have to start over completely from scratch right now, with everything you know, but literally start from scratch. Yes, I understand. Where would you go with today's landscape? What would you do? What would be kind of the moves? I mean, to like be the most successful entrepreneur? I I would flip, I would flip. If I had nothing and I needed money, I would flip. I would buy stuff at garage sales. This is why I put out that content. You know, I listen to my audience. So for, you know, I start popping four years ago and hundreds of thousands of messages over a course of a couple years of, well, here's the excuse. I don't have any money. So finally, it clicked and I was like, well, let me tell them what I did when I had no money. I went garage sailing and yard sailing and thrift storing and dollar storing and bought stuff and made money. So if I was really starting from scratch, look, I think there's $100,000 a year to be made on buying at clearance at retail, buying bulk on the internet, buying uh, from China and reselling it on eBay, Facebook Marketplace, Amazon, Letgo, a Shopify store. I'm good at buying and selling. That's where I would go. I'd probably film, no D-Rock, because I'm starting over. I'd probably film with my you know, camera what I was doing. Right. And at the end of four years, I would have a successful flip business and a lot of people following me because I've documented my journey of building a f- successful flip business. Right. I would be known to most people as a retailer if the internet was more advanced when I was a kid because I would have documented the building of Wine Library. Right. And it would have been the first big way that people knew me. Right, right. right, They would have been like, man, this 20-year-old kid built this thing. He said he was going to and he did. Right. Only 100 people in the New Jersey liquor business know the truth. Right, 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 right. You're really big on documenting yes. and creating because anyone can go out and create content, but it's not scalable. And it's all, actually, I would, I would argue that most people can't create. Sure, they're, right. they're crippled by what do I make? Right, right. Whereas documenting is you're filming your day. Right. Yeah. Obviously, we're out the world conference for tech so we got to talk a little like tech disruption what uh tiktok is a big obviously a big one i think the big one for me is voice voice yeah i think it's the closest one on the horizon when i look at blockchain when i look at crypto when i look at when i look at ai when i look at you know ar and vr the one that just sits most comfortable to me is voice i think voice devices and actions on them are going to be a very big deal for the next decade within the next decade I, I understand it, it's disruptive, it takes a lot of the behavior that we now do on Google and brings it to the voice structure, right. which goes to a branding game versus a selling game, because on Google you could hack it and spend money to show up, and it's intent-based, whereas with voice you have to be the brand that's being said, otherwise Alexa, Apple, you know, uh, you know Google are gonna send you to where they're gonna want to send you. Right. Awesome. 
Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thank Great you. interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank yeah, you. Thanks. In this second interview with TechCrunch, Gary is passionate about why most people don't have the humility to strive for happiness. I can roll? Yeah, I guess so. Let's do it. So do you think people are going to be pivoting to podcasting? Do you think podcasting is harder to monetize? And thus it's I think it's harder to monetize now because the metrics aren't out. But I think like anything else, that's what they all said about social networks in 2007, 2008. Um, attention always eventually gets monetized. When Joe Rogan inevitably announces that he get paid $100 million to exclusively be on whatever pop platform he's gonna go on, I have a funny feeling everyone's gonna be like, wait a minute. So I think when Rogan inevitably does Howard Stern 2.0, I think you'll start seeing people realize, oh, there is something here. And I think, I think people are very basic. They, they look for a report or a very simple ad product to make them feel good while underestimating when tens of millions of people are paying attention to something, inevitably there's an opportunity to monetize. You know, if I didn't have VaynerMedia or Wine Library or my investments, I would probably be monetizing my podcast with, you know, the Gary Vee Audio Experience is brought to you exclusively by Intel because I would need that million dollars a year. Um, as long as I can hold my breath and not have to do that, I think there's a purity that comes along with that, that I get extra credit by not doing that to my audience that I want to continue to lean into. I'm sh but I you know, grew up a huge wrestling fan and the, mil the Million Dollar Man has that great yeah. saying that everybody's got a price. I would be lying if I said that if Salesforce or SAP or Chase Bank came to me tomorrow and said, hey, we'd like to pay $10 million a year to be the exclusive sponsor of the Gary Vee Audio Experience, I'll probably do that. I would take that very seriously, so. Do you think like advertising necessarily undercuts that authenticity? 100%. No matter how you do it, no matter how it's structured? You know, I, no, I do think, you know, it's funny, VaynerMedia put out that Dwayne Wade Budweiser video, I don't know if that caught your radar. Yeah, yeah. I, I think if brands realize they need to make great content, and that can always put you in a better position. I think inherently advertising is less authentic. But when you make a Dollar Shave Club video, when you make, right, when yeah. you make a Dwayne Wade Budweiser video, I do think that there's a better way. And I do think that some people figure it out. You were talking on stage a bit to competition for content, sort of like the Darwinian marketplace, the oversupply versus the fixed demand. Yes. So are you on the sort of Nessie Taleb, extremist on parallel, a few people win, or are you the Chris Anderson long tail, you just need a thousand true fans, or? I, I think they both ebb and flow. I, I think they're both right, and I think I'm a little bit more long tail. I do think there's, I think we need to redefine success. I think, I think that if, for me, and this is the first talk I gave that kind of broke me out, which is like, if you love the Smurfs, Smurf it up at that, you know, Web Expo 2.0, 2007. Sorry, I've not previously heard that line. That's an amazing line. My breakout in the tech world was absolutely this conference at the Javits Center that really put me on the map in TechCrunch and other places. And my thought process when I wrote that book, Crush It, which was based on this Web 2.0 talk that I gave in between Jason Fried and Fred Wilson. And I'll never forget, I'm in the green room. I just started getting in the game, right? Right. And I said to them, and they were big shots, you know, 37 yeah, Signals, yeah. Fred, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps because it's an amazing moment. I'm in the green room like this, I'm like, and I could feel my, I'm like, I'm about to give a very interesting talk. Either this is the beginning or the end of me. <laughs> I think it's the long answer to your question, which is, I believe if we just redefine success as happiness, comma, an ability to financially sustain your life, 
and knowing how to spend your money and not flashing, that you actually get into the long tail. That, that the long tail requires self-esteem and self-awareness. And I think there's a lot of people right now who make $213,000 and are miserable uh, as an accountant or a VC or whatever. Silicon Valley, as you say. Who could be remarkably happy making 98000 running a ski media company that is a very moderate podcast, a very solid Instagram, a not too shabby YouTube, monetized by two or three brands and some fun t-shirts and a small subscription business and they would be so damn happy but what they are required to do is not have the same credit card bills, not drive the same car, maybe go to a less fancy vacation spot but most people don't have the humility to strive for happiness. Yeah, I like that phrase too. Catch that one, (laughs) D-Ra. You know what's funny? I've never said it that way, but that's what I believe. I believe that, you know, I I look at myself. I have a lot of success. I could be making a lot more money. I just want to be happier. And I, um, and I'm willing, and you know, you know me and you know, know of me enough to, I'm willing to be scrutinized in the short term around things I believe in because I do think history will play itself out. And, uh, and I want that for others because it's a, it's a fun way to live. I'm happy, you know, back to TechCrunch. Yep. I'm happy that Kevin Rose lives a super happy life in Portland. He doesn't need to do right. what he was required to do by being on TechCrunch every day in 2007 as Diggs founder. He lived what he wanted to do. And there's a lot of stories like that from the early, you know, I, I, yeah. I, I'm so affected because TechCrunch yeah. was the yeah. number one site I consumed from 2006 to 2010. There's a lot of stories of people looking for their happiness or burning out and being required to find their happiness. And I think we need to have that conversation. Yeah, I mean, Eric himself to an extent. That's an amazing, I wish I said that. That's a better job by you. That's the most meta part of my entire sentence. You're successful and internet famous, virtually and legitimately famous, but there are a lot of stuff, people who do that. Why do you think you, in particular, among the throng of people. I think there's a couple things that have really worked for me. One, I have no interest in getting high on my own supply. So I think that too many people hit some level of status and get confused and think they're special. I feel very much the same way having this interview with you as the first one, first time I was thrilled to sit down with Michael at FOA 2008 London and was like, oh my God, I'm, you know, same dude. Same right now as that. Uh, Number two, I'm consumer centric. And so what that means is I don't tend to predict. I get a lot of credit for being right. I think that I'm fast at speaking about, not great at predicting. So I watch Musical.ly and TikTok and Snap and all these platforms for the last you know, podcasting. They've already happened. I just happen to understand, one gift, no question, one talent I have is I understand consumer behavior. And so I don't talk from a place of what I want to be happening for my financial vested interest. I'll give you a great example. Early on, I was an investor in Gowalla. Oh, right. Yeah, I remember that. But I continuously, both to my clients and in public at the time, was saying Foursquare's winning. And Tristan Walker, is an ex- I'll never forget this, is an executive that is really a force, along with Dennis Crowley, that makes that happen. That wasn't in my vested interest. It wasn't fun to go on TechCrunch TV or Next Web or you know, you know, talking about that. That was detrimental. My reputation and my word has always been the thing that I've most invested in 
over whatever my short-term economics have been. And I believe that has absolutely been a huge factor because there's not enough video to point to on the internet over the last 10 years of, you were so off. There's a lot to point to that we're like, wow, how are you, how'd you know that? And I believe that is because I've had the discipline to care about my reputation. You know, um, so I think that matters. I also think, look, I have, I have a, I have a real thirst for bringing more value to the audience than what they give me in return. So if you even look at my origins in this world, it was Wine Library TV that first put me on the scene. As you know, the only people that were being talked about in those early days were hardcore tech Silicon Valley. I was a New Jersey wine retailer. So from day one. It's a weird origin story. I'm not, right? Yeah. So from day one, but it was one that understood that dig.com and Slashdot and, and, yeah. and Metafilter and Jason Kotke and, and, and Waxy.org that those things, and Neil Dash, that those individuals mattered. That was a skill set that I continue to bring. All those great people that are TechCrunch alum from the early days are no different than the 14-year-olds that I see on TikTok today. They were just elitist to a small group of back then. This is now to the masses of a youth culture. They're all kind of the same game, which is if you enter a room, you have to provide value. You should take off your shoes if that's the house rules. And I think for I think people have... And what's really funny about your question is, it reminds me a lot of my early career. I believe a lot of people in those early days thought I'd be gone in a year. Because they see how I talk instead of what I was saying. I'm over the top. I recognize that. I'm a Jersey boy with a lot of energy. I believe that that confused people. That the way I communicated may have seemed short term. A hundred percent. And I will continue to believe that to be true. And I'm okay, and, and you know what's funny? That might be, that probably has been my greatest challenge. In a world where I admire a lot of people, I know that with most of the people I admire, they tend to not admire me back at first because of the style. Oh, that's really interesting, actually. And so the discipline to stay the course and not change my natural you know, personality has probably been my biggest challenge. In a world where so many of the people that I admire start off thinking I'm a snake oil salesman, that, is, that has been a real disciplined game for me. And, and I'm proud to think that, you know, over time I really do believe that that will work itself out for me because I do think that the truth always wins. Even though in times like now where maybe it seems like the truth struggles, I genuinely do believe that. Your family's from Belarus every yeah. day, right? Yeah. So, so what's it like being back behind the proverbial iron curtain? Do you come, you know? It feels kind of something. It yeah. feels like something. I absolutely feel different. It feels like I'm in the former, so like my, my chemicals go off. I've only only ever been in the Ukraine for a day and now in Armenia. It's the only kidding. two times I've ever been in oh, the former wow. Soviet Union yeah. besides connecting in the Moscow airport, which, yeah. so which doesn't count. So yes, I feel like I feel something like that is how humans are built. I think they can feel like where they come from. Uh, this is a vast area of coming from. Obviously, it's very different. It's not necessarily where I'm from, but I feel a little something. I feel a little something. Yesterday, D-Rock and I, I know we have to wrap up. Yesterday, D-Rock and I got into a, the car and the, the D-Rock asked him, you know, how long to the hotel? And the gentleman's like, I don't speak English. And I was like, you know, naturally went into Russian and it worked and it was cool. I was like, this is so neat. It's the first time I really got to do that. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, you speak Russian. I, I speak that. Russian. That's-
Um, yeah. So it was fun. It was fun. Yeah. So right. I really appreciate your time. I'm a real admirer of your work personally and the platform. So thanks for the time. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah. This was great. Thanks. Take care. Yes. Can I uh, ask a question? You can. All right. So, how do you think of people who um, are trying to do something a bit controversial? Meaning, I have someone. I am someone with a disability, and I'm trying to really like bring a change the stigma around how disabilities look like. And the thing is, I also have a startup, but I'm trying to change. So, a lot of people don't really see me as that person who can really spearhead and do what I'm doing. Everything you just said is super interesting to me, based on the last thing you said. I have ambition to change things. You have ambition to change things. The point where you said people don't see me as someone is the most interesting part of your sentence. Nobody who's ever changed anything has pandered to what people think. You're right. You have to basically close your eyes and your ears for the next 20 years and just put out what you want to put out and then you have a chance of making it happen. But the more you worry or think or strategize around acceptance, mm-hmm. the more unlikely you'll achieve your goal. All right, because I'm also uplifting a ton of other people, so. I believe it, and you can do so much more the second you stop worrying about them believing you can. Right. Nobody has ever believed I could do what I've done except myself. Very nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. In this third and final interview with Forbes, Gary is sharing his two cents on remote work environments, why soft skills are so important, and the world of influencer marketing. As far as like, you know, hiring people, looking for people to work with, um, I know you're all about being like aggressive, going for your goals, but what are some important soft skills that you look for in a person? I mean, so I'm all for aggressive and go for your goals, but that doesn't come at the expense of, of being kind and being <laughs> empathetic and grateful. I, I look for self-awareness, I look for self-esteem. Those are two things I look for in an executive. Uh-huh. Because if you're self-aware, you know what you're good at. I, I believe that my two biggest attributes as an entrepreneur is self-awareness and self-esteem. Because that allows me to say I was wrong, because I'm confident enough to say I was wrong. And I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at and so it allows me to hire around me and I look for the same in leaders. And so I continue to put out content on a daily basis around having people that create results but are terrible human beings will never ever help your team succeed. It doesn't work in sports and it definitely doesn't work in business and um, I think sometimes people don't understand that you can be both ambitious and aggressive and yet kind and, and, and you know, compassionate. And I think both of those, uh, what seem on paper as contradictory uh-huh. uh, behaviors are actually often found in a lot of people. There is a lot of changing within you know, the office environment and the way that people work today. Um, how do you feel about remote environments? How do you feel about the office going insane? I hate it, uh-huh. um, but I don't think I'm right. And let me explain. This is back to self-awareness. Okay. I love people and I love, I love them on social and I love interacting, but I love when they're around. So for me, I like the office environment. I like the serendipity. I like the chemicals that bounce around each other that I think is lost remotely. On the flip side, there's a lot of people that work way better remotely because they can balance their life. So I think, I think both should be out there and I think, you know, you look at 37 Signals, great company, they have a complete remote infrastructure because their founders believe in remoteness and I think that's great. 
for me, I don't. I don't, I want offices, I like people interacting, and I think because I'm the founder and CEO of my company, that that's gonna work for my company. I see. And then I think for all of us, we need to figure out, are we, some of us are social animals. There's so many people that we've been hiring lately that have done freelance for a year and have become very lonely and don't like being at home. So I think this is one big game of self-awareness. I don't think there's a wrong or right. Mm-hmm. I'm happy that now there's options for people to not have to be in the office like we used to have, but I don't think it's the demise of the office. Uh-huh. So do you think individuals should have a choice? Of like, they do have a choice. I mean. They have a choice. If they want to work remotely, uh-huh. VaynerMedia is not going to be the place for you. <laughs> I, don't think yeah. that, I don't think that every company should allow choice. Uh-huh. I think companies should do what they want to do, but all of us are empowered. You don't need to work for that company. Uh, just like some people don't want to work for a company that's only remote uh-huh. because they want to go into the office. I think people have choice. So do you think remote companies are more successful? No, than... I do not. Okay. But I don't think they're less successful. Uh-huh. Because we have a company like WordPress, you know, which it's is amazing. completely remote and has been remote. And then we have a company like Amazon that is not remote and doing yes. quite fine. I think that the world is trying to make the world to this choice or that choice. Uh-huh. I think the fucking answer is both. I agree. <laughs> Agreed. Um, and my last question to you is about the future of social media. Okay. You know, we have all these Instagram celebrities, yep. Facebook celebrities, yep. wannabes, yep. everything in one place. Um, is there gonna? Are they gonna be filtered out eventually? What's gonna be, you know, the the I guess like survival of the fittest on social media? It's already happened. There are a ton of people that three years ago were winning, Uh who are not. They've stopped growing, Uh they've declined. The way they were living their lives wasn't sustainable from a happiness, so they burnt out. Their content didn't evolve, so their audience lost interest. Um, Inherently, the way it's structured is a game of weeding itself out and people emerging. Only 10 years ago, Tila Tequila and Dane Cook were the biggest celebrities on the internet on MySpace. You know, so, yeah, I, I believe that will always happen. So strategically, what's important for like an influencer to, to sustain? Most influencers lose because they bring value to the audience in the beginning and then they make it and then they make it all about themselves. The inherent way to win long term is to continue to bring value to the people that consume your content, not try to extract value out of the people that consume your content. Right. Influencer starts, they make great content, we watch it, then they get big, now they wanna sell you t-shirts, now they wanna make you subscribe to a subscription, now they wanna go exclusive on a platform and make you pay. Uh-huh. That's why they lose, they cash out. So building the community and I guess being able to extract value from the community, isn't that an important thing to do? Of course, because you want to sustain, right? Like if you've become an influencer around water but you're also a lawyer but you only want to do water, you're going to need some dollars. But I think it's a balance. Uh And I think that what I see is too many people go all into themselves Uh and, and they stop bringing value to the audience and they go almost into this celebrity culture where they think a picture of themselves out is valuable to the audience. I I think that, yes, I think your question is absolutely right. I have no problem starting a wine brand, starting a sneaker brand, and having businesses, but but 95% of my behavior is to bring value to the audience, and I think most people go the other way. I agree, yeah. I think it's a balance. And I think people get, I think people go all community and then all themselves. Uh Instead of all community 
and 80% audi- community and 20% themselves, which I think theoretically as a framework uh-huh. is a good way to go. So as a personal brand, isn't it important to like be all about yourself instead of... I don't think so. No. No, I don't think so. I think it becomes all about you if you continue to bring value. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I think admiration uh-huh. is a far more interesting framework than being celebrated as a celebrity. Uh-huh. Exactly. In terms of like AI and social media, where do you see that going? What's the future of it? Look, I think AI and machine learning is going to commoditize a lot of behavior. Uh-huh. Like technology always eats up mundane work. Um, so I feel like there'll be a lot of advancements in content creation. Unfortunately, I think a lot of the AI will be deployed against community management, which will then strip authenticity out of actual engagement. Uh So I think that's a watch out more than an advancement. Um, So those are two areas I think a lot about. I see, in terms of like people and influencers, is there going to be a shift in that? Or meaning? Like are influencers going to have to work a lot harder to sustain their spot as influencers? Are there gonna be a uh, you know, Every like, single 15-year-old in the world wants to be an influencer. Right. That's a, that's a supply and demand problem. So when social media first came out, everyone was a social media expert, right. like like rabbits. You yes. know? Um, so with and these influencers, it's, I kind of see the same trend. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's right, other than there is so much attention being deployed. When, it, when people come out and say, I'm an expert, and then people hire them and don't get results, uh-huh. they're in trouble. Big trouble. When people say, hey, I'm a personality, look at what I'm putting out, and there's unlimited attention, or just a shocking amount of attention on the other end, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a different kind of weeding out process. Uh-huh. You understand? Like people, people that were experts really went into the B2B world and said, hey, pay me, I'll do this for you. Uh-huh. Influencers are more in the B2C world where there's a far bigger audience and a far less requirement to deliver on somebody giving you money. Uh-huh. So it's a slightly different task, but I do think your point is taken, which is anytime there's a supply and demand shift on attention, uh-huh. there's going to be a weeding out process. Thanks guys for listening. Please, please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed because a bunch of you aren't subscribed and more importantly, a bunch of you listen every day and haven't told your friends it's the best podcast in the world. I'm watching. (laughs) Have a great day.